what this world has to offer. We're, we're concerning ourselves with eternal things, things that matter, God, things that are going to last, Jesus. We love you. We love you, God. We want to be near to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want you to pray this morning. Help me pray that God would open your eyes and understanding to the word. Can you do that? Lord, open our eyes. Show us the wisdom of your word. Give us knowledge, Lord. We want to be blessed with knowledge. We want to have understanding of your word so that we can give a reason of the hope to somebody else that's in need of it. In Jesus' name, we surrender to you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Amen. It's going to be a good morning. Let's turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you, if you have a bulletin this morning, you're going to see the title. We're going to talk about holiness this morning. And how many would like a better understanding or grasp of holiness before you leave? Amen. This is not a touchy topic. It's not something we're going to walk on eggshells on around here. We're going to address it. We're going to see what the Word of God has to say about it. Is that all right? And so if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I think we've got all the Scriptures up there. Brother Blake's going to help me out. But I want you to take note of Scripture. If, if you have resources available to do that this morning. And if you hear something that just you kind of get latched on to, that's okay. I want you to write that down. Because... We, we need to understand this. And we believe, we believe in the doctrine of holiness as much as we believe in the doctrine of oneness. Amen. Or as much as we believe in the doctrine of, of receiving the Holy Ghost. It's important and it's scriptural and we're going to see that this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind Talking about holiness is a broad, broad topic, even covering your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written all the way back in the Old Testament be ye holy for I am holy there's no a gray area here there's not a if you feel like it and all that it's saying I want you to be holy because I'm holy Right. that's what the Lord says Amen. And so, what about this holiness thing? What, what's the big idea here? The, the first thing that we should do today is define exactly what holiness means. And so, um, I'm going to refer you to somebody who knows a whole lot about it, it's written a whole lot about it, about it, and that's David Bernard. In his book, In Search of Holiness, he defines holiness in this way. Only God is completely holy in himself. Now, we need to understand that real quick. The only person that is completely, fully, unquestionably holy is God himself. 
It's only him, and we wish to emulate him. Now, you agree with that? We need to emulate Jesus. Amen. We need to mirror Christ to this world. Well, if we're going to do that, the Lord is holy. And so you're not going to be able to, in your own self, make yourself a holy being. It's not going to happen. It's going to take the help of God. Yes. And we're going to reflect him to the earth. And so we have no choice but to observe the fact that he is holy. How in some way can we reflect that to the earth? So only God is completely holy in himself. Brother Bernard goes on to say, when the word is applied to persons or objects, it refers to what has been separated. Everybody said separated. Separated. Or set apart. Everybody say set apart. Unto God. Holiness, as it applies to us, is what has been separated or set apart unto God. For the Old Testament Hebrews, holiness included both the negative concept of separation and the positive concept of dedication. It's two parts. And for born-again Christians today, it specifically means this. You, I, would, I might write this down if you would today. It means separation from sin and the world and dedication to God and his will. Separation from sin and the world and dedication to God and his will. Now let me ask you this morning, since God has done some things for you, anybody had God do some things for you? Since he's done any of that, have you once had any desire to separate yourself from everything else and dedicate yourself more to him? Is that reasonable? Well, I felt it. The moment that the Lord came into my life and I began to feel his presence, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. There was initially a feeling on me. I need to get away from all the junk that's been in my life and get closer to God. I need to leave some things behind, turn away from them, because is repentance not a 180-degree turnaround from some things? If we repent, we are already beginning the process of holiness. Do you realize that? Now, notice I said beginning. Because <laughs> there's some things that we've got to remove from our life, even past that initial day that the Lord saves us and cleanses us. There's, there's more to do. It's not an end-all, be-all. Once you repent, receive the Holy Ghost and you're baptized, the Lord still has work to do in your life. The Lord still has work to do in my life. Amen. And I don't want to neglect that work that God wants to do. And so we do as the scripture says, and that's pursue holiness. Right. I want to pursue holiness. Yes. So let me make this statement today that somebody who really has good intentions to be close to God, to be a Christian, to live for the Lord... We'll pursue holiness. We want to pursue holiness. Amen. Holiness is simply who God is. It's the characteristics of the Lord. It's God's characteristics. And we are required, ladies and gentlemen, we are required to strive to take on the characteristics of our Savior. That's what we want to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 this is an important scripture. Actually, this chapter is important and essential to understanding of holiness. 
Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's kind of pull this apart just a little bit. Talking about running a race, if, if somebody begins to put more weights on you, the more weight that is put on you, the less of a chance you're going to finish that race. And so we are admonished in this race to the end, to the finish line that we're all going to reach someday. It's going to be a whole lot easier to run this thing if we lay aside the weights of sin that are going to beset us. Amen. And so there's weights that the Lord is pointing out in our lives that he's identifying, that he's showing us either in prayer in the altar every day that I want you to take these weights off of you, not because I'm trying to deprive you from anything, but because I want you to run this race greatly and without weights holding you down. I'm trying to reform your perspective on holiness that really not anybody but the world has said that it's depriving people of things. That's not true. That's not the intention of God. He wants you to run your race effectively. Amen. He doesn't want it to be upset by weights of sin. Come on. He doesn't want you just doing everything you can just to get by. He doesn't want you to just survive. He wants you to thrive. Okay? How do we do that? Well, we got to lay off some weights. There's some weights that the Lord doesn't care for that he wants out of our life so we can run this race. You skip down in that same chapter, Hebrews 12, to verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Important scripture right here. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, there's some translations that actually say, lest any man fall short of the grace of God. You've heard um, that quoted a lot of times. Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A lot of times that scripture is used to justify somebody's sin, unfortunately. You know, well, you make a mistake and you just say, well, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's easy to do sometimes. You can, you can actually take scripture and make it justify your situation if you're not careful. That's why study and context of Scripture is very important, okay? But here, I can defeat that in the fact that it's admonishing, admonishing us to take on holiness lest you fall short of the glory of God. Yes, all have sinned. Yes, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But we don't want to get there before the end. We want to, before that, 
take on the holiness of the Lord, please God, so one day he'll say, well done. Yes. Amen. We don't want to fall short of that. And so this is what he's saying. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Why are we doing this? Holy, why is holiness essential? Because all of these things can take place that we can defeat if we'll take on the holiness of the Lord. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, listen to this, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. This whole situation with Esau I believe is meant to illustrate the end in which we've got an inheritance that we want to receive. Amen. There's, there is a land, amen, where God is preparing a place for us at the end of days. And there's something that God wants us to attain. There is an inheritance. But without holiness, we strive for the things of this earth like Esau did. And we trade away an inheritance for things that are not going to last. And he never, he never cut off ties with all that. He never made the decision that I'm going to seek eternal things. I'm going to seek the things of God before all else. And so he found uh, no place of repentance. He was rejected. Amen. You don't want to be rejected of God. You don't want there to be any chance at the end of days that you lose that inheritance. The ideal thing to do is take on the characteristics of God. And so we pursue holiness. Amen. So you might write down Hebrews chapter 12 today for your study. That's, it's very good concerning holiness. But at, from this scripture, we see that holiness is not merely an option. Right. You need holiness. Yes. It's part of truly and completely loving God. Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's natural for somebody who has been married for a while, somebody who uh, is in love and, and is around the person for a long period of time, to begin to take on the characteristics of that person. Anybody know someone, a couple who, as time has went on, they just start looking more and more like each other or acting more and more like each other, you know. They just naturally, it happens. Maybe since, if you're married here today, since you've been married, you can say that I've changed because of the person I'm with. I, I can say that I'm a better person because they have certain characteristics that I don't have. That is precisely the way that God works. The more and more that we continue in this relationship with Him, the more and more we ought to change. The more and more we ought to change the way we talk, the way we act, because ultimately, we're following Christ. We are being discipled. We're being discipled to be like Him. Holiness is two things that, that is mentioned here. It's separation and dedication. Somebody might say sanctification and consecration. Moving away from the things of the world. Moving closer to God. And so really, you're not being deprived of anything. You're being blessed by God. Moving away from something so you can get closer to something better. That's what's happening and taking place. And many in the world, including in the Christian circle, have painted this doctrine of holiness 
as something that is legalistic and something that's outdated, something that was believed long ago. But you know what? We, we had this lesson just last Sunday night in here, and it was fascinating to listen to Brother Baxter talk about how the doctrine of oneness was just robbed right out of the church. And somebody with wrong intentions come in a long time ago. The Council of Nicaea. You remember him talking about that? And all of a sudden, this thing that had been believed for a long time, from the start, was perverted. And the church carried that on. And he talked about, well, you got uh, the mother of harlots that was the Catholic church. And then the, the, the ones that sprouted off, these were all the children. And now they just all believe it, all these churches, you know. And it's very similar to holiness in such a way that, I mean... If, if you look early in America's culture, in the religion of America, when it started, many churches, many churches preached doctrine of holiness. And some, somehow at some point, it had been gotten away from. And maybe they didn't teach all the same things in the same scripture, but the same idea, the fact that there are certain things you've got to get out of your life in order to, to conform to the will of God for your life. That's right. <clears throat> Somewhere that's disappeared. And what happens is as time goes on, there becomes a point where the church begins to look more like the world than anything else. When the idea of holiness is separation. Yes. To be set apart. To not be like the world that you're placed in. Not of this world. But this is how men have changed the message of the church over years of time. If it doesn't fit the frame of what a reasonable, comfortable Christian life ought to be, throw that preaching and that teaching out, you know. But, you know, what we want to do is go completely and wholly by Scripture. So I've said this before, as silly as it sounds, if the Lord makes a clear commandment for every Christian believer to stand on their head and spin... As silly as that sounds, I can't distort that if we believe the whole word of God. Amen. It's got to be the whole word or forget about it. That's what I want for my life. Amen. Psalm 96 and verse 9. It's, it's not a legalistic thing. We're not, I, I want to make this clear today. We're not making people do stuff. Okay? It's not what we're doing. It's not what God is professing that we ought to do. That's not our goal here today because God himself could make us love him if he wanted to, but what would that accomplish? It wouldn't be out of our own will, and so he gives you free will. We're not going to make people do anything because it wouldn't really be holiness. It's got to be done because you've got a desire for the characteristics of God because you love God, and the Lord loves you enough that he wants you to take on these characteristics. Amen. And it's not... A depriving thing. It's not a horrible thing. Psalms 96 and verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. Amen. So I want to turn your attention today to uh, Isaiah chapter 5. If you can, that's in your bulletin too, I believe. But if you can, turn to that in whatever way you have accessible. I want to show you something that, that has fascinated me. Um, that can illustrate this idea of holiness for you, okay? And I think in a very effective way. Isaiah chapter 5, uh, it says...
this King James Version. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. Let me give you a, a good understanding of the verbiage here. It's really saying regarding his vineyard. Most translations are going to say regarding or um, referring to. I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching or regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Blake, can you take us to verse 2? So he's got a vineyard, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked, why did he do all this? What was the purpose? He looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Now, I want you to pay attention to the things that he did. The Lord has this vineyard. Now, to give you context, this is talking about the people of Israel. We know that the people of Israel at different times struggled with going back into uh, the, the beliefs of the world, idolatry, these different things. And they would move away from God. God would cause something to happen. The whole book of Judges is just the people turn away from God. The Lord afflicting them to the point that they had to come back to him. And so he raises up a man, a judge, who would turn them back to him. And they would do it. And then they'd turn back away. And it's this vicious cycle that would go about. And through several books of our Bible, this is just another situation. This garden that he has is his people. This garden that the Lord has that he evidently values very much. Okay? He values it very much. But what did he do? He did some specific things. So if you look at the scriptures, one of the things he did, he planted it with the choicest vine. The choicest vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Jesus himself has planted us or planted himself in our innermost being when we receive the new birth we receive the holy ghost and you're baptized in jesus name you take on the name jesus can i have an amen, amen. You, you you're taking on a new name much like a marriage right you're taking on this name of jesus you're no longer just debbie but you are debbie jesus amen that's the name you're taking that's how important it is right now okay you now represent him and you're a part of his garden. Amen. And so he planted it with a choicest vine. He put a tower in the midst of it. Put a tower in the midst of it. Amen. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and it's safe. We receive his name in baptism and we are safe. He puts a tower in our life. And the Bible says that he put a wine press therein. And, he, he, you know, this wine press is placed in the garden so that there's no need to go out anywhere else. There's no need to go find a wine press from somebody else, you know, that you don't really know what you're getting out of it or anything like that. What, whatever our needs are, they can be met by a deep experience with and a spiritual grasp of God. And there's nowhere else you need to go. You know, it's, this wine press is right there in the garden for you. He's placed it for you. Just as the wine press was within the midst of the garden, so they, they don't need to go anywhere else, 
so are our answers not far from any one of us. You've got a wine press you can go to. The Lord's placed it in your life for a reason. And we can turn away from that and get outside the garden and say, I want answers here and there. All the while, he specifically placed a wine press in the garden for you. And this new wine we have received is the spirit of Almighty God and it dwells within us. He did all these things, but what was the first thing he did with this garden he values so much? All these things are important. But the first thing that he did he fenced it. The very first thing God did for a garden he values so highly, so much, is that he fenced it. Why did he fence the vineyard? Was it because he was afraid that it was going to run off? I, I really don't think so this morning. You know, uh, you know, sometimes if you plant a garden, you know, and you've got uh rabbits or, or uh, animals, cats or something like that, you might see some things run off. But I don't think that the whole garden is going to pick up and run off. You know, that happens. We have another issue. But that was not the reason. He fenced it for two main reasons. For protective purposes. Somebody might say separation. You know that the word defense literally comes from the word fence. He separates it to protect it. Separation. The second reason is to declare his ownership. Somebody might say dedication. The two reasons for all this, separation and dedication, this is the reasons why he fences a garden that he cares so much about. This vineyard is mine. And I'm going to protect it. Amen. Because I love it. And I want it to be separate from the sin of this world. Come on. I don't want things getting into my garden that's going to corrupt it. I don't want things getting into my garden that don't have the characteristics of me and me only. It's my garden. Not anybody else's. I don't want it to be the devil's garden. I don't want it to be the world's garden. Maybe if you've ever planted uh, vegetables or something like that, you know if you plant one vegetable too close to another type of vegetable, what happens? You end up with some spicy cucumbers. <laughs> Nobody wants a spicy cucumber, you know. God has a garden that he values very much. He wants it to be a certain way. And he doesn't want flavors of this world getting into that garden. So what does he do? He fences it. He fences it. Amen. What he did, essentially, was he drew a line. And he drew it with his law. That's what this, this set of scriptures is referring to. He drew a line with his law. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it. 
that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Why am I giving you these statutes and judgments? Because I want you to go in and possess the land. Amen. I want you to go in and take it. This is how you're going to do it. Verse 5 through verse 9 states, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. You're going to do these rules, these statutes set by God in order to possess it. The first thing God did when he brought Israel out was to begin teaching them statutes. And so what God does when he delivers a person, when he saves a person, the first thing he begins to do is to fence this garden and to teach them statutes. And how, how many in this room could say that God's taught you some things that you're living a better life today because of that? Amen. Come on, you just testify by waving your hand right now. You know what you've done? You have stepped into the holiness of the Lord and said, I desire that. God wants this for me, and I'm not going to dread it. That's not the goal of God. I'm going to desire this. Amen. The Bible says we should earnestly desire the best gifts. We're going to have some teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. I believe, I'm not putting words in Scripture today, we ought to earnestly desire holiness. Yes. Amen. We ought to earnestly desire it. Hallelujah. It's what the Lord wants. And so, in doing all this, the Lord was putting up a fence. He was... He was gathering out stones. He's gathering out stones, that scripture said, and placing a productive vine in their place. Things that are going to harm the growth, he pulls out and he places in their place things that are going to make it thrive. This is what God wants for your life. Amen. He wants to take away every weight that doth so easily beset us so that he can place a vine that's going to thrive. Amen. How many would love to thrive in, in your relationship with God? Amen. Sometimes that requires removing some stones that maybe you didn't even realize they were stones or that they were stunting your growth, but God points them out and says, I need them out. I need them out. And not only that, I want you to understand today, God just doesn't hammer us on the head and say, you've got to get that out of here. But God says, I want to help you get them out. Amen. I want to take the stones out of your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so he places the productive vine in its place. You see, the gardener cares for his garden because it's valuable to him. The church God has created, He's worked on it for a very long time. He's still working on it today, even this morning. And until the end of days, He's going to work on it. And it's valuable to Him. And so He doesn't want anything upsetting the garden that He's worked on so long. He puts a fence around it. And He protects it. And He says, this is mine. And for those who stay within the boundaries that the Lord has set, he's going to begin to remove stones. He'll remove stones from your life. And progressively, because you have stayed within the fence of the Lord, you're going to see those stones disappear. 
and you're going to feel lighter. There's not going to be a weight on your back anymore. That weight that has beset you for so long, the Lord will begin to remove. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall bear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there? So great, who God so nigh unto them, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord God is in all things that we call upon him for. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget, forget the things which thine eyes have seen, unless they depart from thy heart all the days of, the of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and to thy sons' sons. This fence was not only for that generation, but for the generations of children that would go on. It's not something that would stop. What was the reason for such statutes and requirements of holiness from God? Why did he do all this? Well, we find right after God had delivered the people out of Egypt, the children of Israel find themselves in a strange place. Now, I want to give you context this morning. When God sends ten plagues, supernatural plagues, to bring a dynasty to its knees, and each plague definitively destroys one of the idols that this dynasty prayed to. And he brings it all low. He takes the firstborn of every one of them. And then he marches you right out of the country. You find yourself at a Red Sea and he parts it so you can march through a sea. And when you get to the other side, he collapses that sea to destroy every bit of army that they've got. God does all that. Boy, you'd think your faith would be on high. You know what I mean? I am not going to do anything else. I'm not going to serve anybody else. It's said and done. After what I just saw, that's it. But here we find in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Are you hearing this this morning? After all of that, you want to go back to Egypt? What in the world? That whole deal, bringing them out of Egypt, was a type of salvation. I saved you from that. This is how it applies to us today. I saved you from Egypt. I delivered you out of Egypt. Out of sin, out of bondage, out of this world. I delivered you from that. 
And now you hit tough times and you want to say, let's go back to Egypt. Not just let's go back to Egypt. Let's right now hold interviews for the captain who's going to take us back to Egypt. And you remember what they did at the base of Mount Sinai, right? What did they do? They fell back into Egypt. Immediately. Began building this calf, something to worship to other than God. Because they had to wait. And after being delivered from Egypt, hear me this morning. All the crying to God that they did about it. And finally one day he said, I'm going to hear them. I'm going to raise up Moses to deliver them. And the miracles, the plagues, and the wonders God did to bring them here. They fall into idolatry. And now they say, we need to go back to Egypt. Hear me right now. These people in walking out of Egypt and crossing a Red Sea were by the hand of God being saved. But although God had gotten the people out of Egypt, he still needed to get Egypt out of the people. Amen. And when God brings you out of the world and out of sin and separates you, now he needs to dedicate you. I've got to get the world and the sin out of you. It's got to be gone because naturally what our nature is, is to fall into this, fall back into it. It's, it's our habits, our nature. When you've done something so long, it's not like, you know, just necessarily a one day event that everything is completely changed from here on out. God crafts us and he places us on this potter's wheel to take out imperfections. Amen. And so he brings us out of the world and out of sin, but then he's got to get the sin in the world out of us. How do we do that? We begin to take on this characteristics of God. It's separation. <clears throat> Salvation is just phase one of God's plan for changing you. And you're already starting holiness when you do that. From the point of repentance, you're beginning the process. And holiness starts. He has to deliver you out of the world, but then he has to deliver the world out of you. And this ought to be the desire of every single believer. Amen. I want what God doesn't want out of my life. I want, to, I want to just say this today. If there is something, if there's something this morning that you've dealt with a while that you feel like God is impressing on you, this has got to get out of my house. This has got to get out of my thoughts. This has got to get out of my habits. If there's something like that, you ought to respond to God. Yeah. He's trying to remove another stone out of your life. Amen. He's trying to remove some things that are really, you may not realize that there are a weight that are besetting you from reaching your potential in the kingdom of God. You, you want to reach your potential in the kingdom of God, don't you? Amen. You know, there's weights. There are weights, folks, that's got to come off at some point. And it's not, it's not to harm you or to call you out or something like that. It's God trying to help you. He wants you to run a race, not limp a race. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to struggle the whole time. He wants to take off some of those things so you can sprint. Come ahead of the pack of this world. Amen. 
I'm going to close quickly here. I want to, I know that we've not got into like specifics of holiness and things like that, but I want to throw out some things today to spark your mind, things you might consider. Portions of this idea of holiness. Not really an idea, it's, it's, it's God. It's what it is. Aspects of it that maybe you might think about today. Attitudes are part of holiness. And sometimes it's the hardest part for us to get. It's something as simple as attitude. Just having a right spirit. Sometimes the hardest thing to do. But the scripture has a lot to say about it. The tongue, the Bible calls it the most unruly member of the body. That may be the hardest thing. I don't know. But it's got the power of life and death. And God wants us to be holy in the use of our tongue. Amen. And so we ought not curse people. We ought not tear people down. We ought Amen. not talk behind people's back. We ought not do all these things. This is all part of controlling our tongue. Amen. The eye, the Bible calls the light of the body. The things that we see. Somebody said that the eyes are the windows of the soul. And the things that we see can become snapshots in our mind for the rest of our life. And this is why somebody who's fought in war, some of the things that they've seen affects the rest of their life. And so what you put before your eyes, you put no unclean thing before your eyes, as the Bible says, it's important. Some things we don't need to be looking at. Some things is not good for people to see. We need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about that. Just off the top of my mind, the easiest example I can give you about that, pornography is running people's lives in this world. They've set their eye on something that's perverted their thinking, the way they see their spouse, light of the body is the eye. Coveting things. Covetousness. The eye. The Bible talks about apparel and adornment. Modesty. I mean, it's a given that we ought not walk around wearing things in such a way to tempt somebody. To cause their eye to falter. That's important. But in, you know, in wearing less, somebody has intentions in their mind. You've got intentions why you're doing that. We ought to be modest. We ought not cause somebody else to trip up in their relationship with God. We're supposed to be reflecting God. So, if it makes it easy for you today, when you go to your wardrobe and you're trying to decide what to wear Am I reflecting Christ when I put that on? Or maybe if you're looking at something, it, you know, is that reflecting Christ? Now, there's things in this world that don't have much to do with that, you know. I don't need to sit here and question.
because I look at this Kleenex box, is this Kleenex box reflecting Christ? You gotta blow your nose, okay? But you know if it's an issue. You know if it's an issue, if that's reflecting Christ or not. Amen. The Lord wants there to be a separation. He wants it to be clear that this is a man and this is a woman. So a woman should not wear that which pertaineth to a man, the scripture says. A man should not wear that which pertaineth to a woman. Why did he do that? Because he knew there would be a day that would come at some point where if that was not followed, it'd be hard to tell which was which and who was attracted to who. When he said from the very beginning, you should leave your father and your mother and cling to the opposite sex. That's what God desires, that institution of marriage. The Lord wants the same separation in our hair. Amen. The body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. That's what it says. How we treat our body is how we are treating the vessel that God has chosen to carry His Spirit. And so, if how I'm treating my body doesn't reflect Christ, I might need to make a change. Amen. Marriage and relationships. God's said all this in a very specific way that pleases Him. Marriage. Amen. Submission to spiritual authority. It's part of holiness. And even the mind. Even the mind. It's perhaps where it all starts. It's necessary to observe holiness. The Bible says, take your thoughts into captivity. And one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatsoever is of good report, think on these things. And you notice that not only is that removing some things God doesn't want in your life, but you think on good things, you're going to be living a better life. You're going to be more positive. I believe you'll be closer to God. Honesty and integrity. Entertainment. All these things are important. You know, if you're watching something or listening to something and it's wrong, you wouldn't have somebody say that around you if they were standing right next to you. You probably don't need to be involved with that either. It's not really ref reflecting Christ. Amen. It's what we put before our eyes. Why is all this important? <laughs> I mean, we, we could talk all day about these specific things. I could give you tons of scripture. If you need it, come see me. I'll give you scripture on it because I don't want you to take Brother Ryan's word for it. That's not my goal today. I want you to see that God wants a fence around the garden that He desires so much. So much. There's an apostolic author that wrote about holiness that he entitled his book, The Difference a Lion Can Make. The difference a lion can make that God's drawn in the sand. This is what I don't want for your life. I want to see clearly that line. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want it to be a question. I want to see that line clearly around me. I don't want to tread away from that. I don't want to get away from the wine press he's put here. Because God values me. 
And he wants something special for me. He wants something special for you. But in all this, being the almighty creator, he's got requirements. He's got things he wants for us. Amen. I want to observe it in every way. Would you stand with me right now? Got gone a lot longer than I need to. A lot more notes than I can use here today. But in all things, in every aspect of my life, I want to observe holiness. There's a song that says, holiness has a name. It's Jesus. That's who it's all about. That's who it's all about. And that's who we need to be concerned with today. Maybe you feel a push today to answer the call of God, moving you towards something or away from something. I don't know, maybe you don't feel that today, but maybe you've got a desire. Lord, I want to do as the Scripture said and perfect holiness in my life. I want it to get there. I want to move further and further all the time, closer to one day being like Him. That's where we're going to be. That's perfect holiness, folks. I want to be on the right path that direction until that time. Would you lift your hands with me right now? Come on, lift your hands toward heaven.